Hey, it's Chaz Mostert here, and yes, I'm inside your speaker. I'm in here because I have a special message for you from Clayton in Melbourne. If you're a club, state, or national racer on the circuit or on the dirt in Speedway or rallying, you can now tap into the know-how of Walkinshaw Racing Services, and you don't need a supercar to get in the door. The same expertise that's won multiple Bathurst 1000s and V8 Supercar Championships is now available for you to call upon. From bonnet to bumper, WRS can help you with engines, design, paint, machining, fabrication, and so much more for all sorts of makes, models, and categories. Have a chat with Walkinshaw Racing Services and tell them what matters to you. Call now on 1300 WRacing or email services at walkinshawracing.com.au. A Motorsport Podcast Network production. Hello and welcome to the Castrol Motorsport News Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Van Leeuwen, and here's what's making news this week. Shane Van Gisbergen just keeps on making NASCAR history. He finished 10th at the Indianapolis road course to become the first driver since Terry Labonte in 1978 to start his cup career with back-to-back top 10s. Much closer to home, there was action galore at Queensland Raceway with Will Brown in a class of his own in TCR. He won two of the three races, the other going to first-time winner Brad Harris, who hung on in the reverse top 10 grid race. Tom Heyman had a breakthrough weekend in Trans Am, winning all three of the races that ran to completion. Elliot Cleary had made a bolter of a start at the first race, but that was cut short by some lap one carnage. The GT World Challenge wins went to Jeff Emery and Max Hoffer on the Saturday, and then Liam Talbot and Garth Tander on the Sunday. There was some GT controversy too, with the proposed top 10 shootout scrapped at the very last minute. In Michelin Sprint Challenge, there was a hat-trick of wins for newcomer Nash Morris. That series, however, was rocked by a huge crash on the Saturday evening involving Andrew Goldie and Richard Cowan. Both were hospitalised, with Goldie suffering a heap of broken ribs, while Cowan is reportedly in a serious but currently stable condition. The supercar silly season continues to unfold with Erebus confirming that Willie Brown is out the door at the end of the current season. He is, of course, off to Triple Eight, although Triple Eight is remaining tight-lipped on that at this point. Elsewhere, there are murmurs that Jack LeBrock is the key target for Erebus and that James Courtney is in the frame for Grove Racing should David Reynolds move to Team 18. We'll dive into more of that later in the show. The silly season isn't limited to drivers either, with some fascinating speculation that a Ford team could perhaps jump ship to GM next season. Joining me this week to discuss all that and more is a teammate that spent the weekend out at the bend putting Castrol stickers over some of the new signage out there, Stefan Bartholomew. Stefan, how are you this week? Hello, Andrew. It sounds like I went to the wrong uh, racetrack on the weekend. I was actually out at Queensland Raceway taking in some uh, speed series action and uh, certainly not vandalising anything as you would uh, have me do. I know, you're too much of a goody two-shoes to do anything like that, <laughs> Stefan, even even in the name of a far superior uh, oil and lubricant brand. Anyway, uh, how was it out there at uh, Queensland Raceway? Certainly, uh, full credit to Tony Quinn. QR is a much nicer place to be than it, uh, than it used to be, but um, the Speed Series, it's going to be really interesting to see where some of that goes next year. There's... Obviously, some excitement around the TCR World Tour guys coming out, but you know, seeing thirteen TCR cars buzzing around Queensland Raceway wasn't uh, exactly inspiring. So I do worry for where that's going and how much the stand deal has kind of boxed them in commercially. It is an interesting one. I mean, that was a four-year deal. Announces a four-year deal that stand deal, right? Is that am mm, I remembering it that was, correctly? Yeah. Yep. I just. 
do we really think it's going to go for another two years? Um, I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's tough. And obviously, there's a, there's a few categories in that uh, ARG portfolio and uh, they're sort of in varying levels of, of health with uh, with competitors. So, uh, yeah, there's probably a bit to uh, bit to look at there. Mm. The GT field seemed pretty strong, but that was quite interesting with the way the shootout was kind of dumped at the very last minute. So the way it was meant to work was that the AM drivers from the top 10 qualify, the pro, the pro drivers would qualify, the top 10 cars, their uh, nominated AM driver would then take over for a single lap shootout like we see in supercars. I think a lot of the competitor base was pretty excited about that, but then it was scrapped right at the last minute. Uh, apparently there was a some concerns over tyre temp. Those concerns seemed to come mostly from – Triple Eight and Roland Dane. Um, I believe there were some people at MPC that maybe felt the same, but it feels that Roland was kind of pushing it and it got dumped at the last minute and they went to a sort of knockout, you know, multi-lap qualifying format. Not everyone was happy about that because it was something, this is something that was announced early July and became an issue on Friday night, basically. So there was some rather perplexed GT competitors from what I heard. Wasn't this exactly what happened at the 12-hour last year where they mm. canned the shootout on Saturday morning? Yeah, well, they canned it right before. I think the TV commentators were still talking about the mm. shootout coming up and it wasn't. But that was the May – when the 12-hour was in May, remember, and it was very, very cold. Um, so I guess there was, you know, some – without – I don't know the specifics of how these GT tyres work, you know, but a few people mentioned to me that a 30-degree day – uh, in Ipswich probably wasn't going to be too much of an issue um, with the tyres there like it was uh, at the 12-hour. But, that, I mean, that format was being retained at the 12-hour now because it was actually, like, excellent. Yeah, I think that that works well for GT racing, as we've talked about before. But certainly, to your point, it was uh, it was fairly baking out in the sun. So that's uh, curious as to how that all played out. But um, those sort of uh, things really are nothing new in motorsport. But... Uh, I did see Ooh. something that I've never experienced before at uh, QR on Sunday afternoon. So yep. I was in the Triple Eight garage after that GT race, and I ended up in the middle of a birthday celebration for the Queen wow. of Johor, who is, of course, the, the mother of the two princes that uh, race for the team. So if you've never heard a group of mechanics belt out, happy birthday, dear your majesty, then uh, you've really missed out. Wow. Were they, were they, was it in English or in Bahasa? Oh, it was it was in English, and uh, yep, a nice uh, cake came through. So uh, yes, a bit of a different post race down there. They certainly weren't worried about uh, supper eggs at that point. That is uh, that is very interesting. I hope you bought. I hope you bought a suitable present. What do you buy the the queen? That's um, well, Will, Will Brown was parked just next door, so uh, <laughs> they'll uh, be had to unwrap him shortly. I'd gather you could have done the old, you know, the old like tape him to the uh, to the fridge trolley, to the tire trolley, and deliver <laughs> it in the uh, in the in the garage. But there. awkward when they're not ready to accept uh, them yet. Yep. So uh, yeah. Very, very good. All right, let's move on to the latest episode of Supercar Stars in NASCAR. We'll start with the Cup Series race at the Indianapolis Road Course. Uh, I'll be honest, Stefan, it was kind of hard to wake up on Monday, you know, glance at the result, and just to clarify, I didn't brave the 3 a.m. start here in Perth. I did just wake up and have a look and watch the race back later. But, you know, it was hard not to be a little underwhelmed to see Giz finish 10th, which is actually like complete madness, right? Because nobody has made a start to their cup career that successful since the late 70s, as I mentioned at the top of the show. That Chicago win just really set expectations at some 
crazy level. And like finishing 10th was actually a really good outcome. Yeah, it's it's a tough one because as you say, the key word in all of that is expectations. And there was obviously a lot of hype and attention on Shane after Chicago, but it was always going to be a lot tougher than Chicago. And he still smoked all the other road course ringers. Like you can't ignore that. So Oh, by, by a heap as well. But like he's 10th, but Brody's 22nd, Mike Rockenfeller's 24th, Button's 28th, Andy Lally's 30th, and Kobayashi's 33rd. So like that's exactly the point. When you actually when you take mm. that sort of Chicago madness out of it, it's like, oh no, that was really good. Yeah, so I think the fact he ran 10th says more about the quality of the NASCAR regulars on a road course that they know than it does about Shane because we know that his level is is very, very high, and I'm not sure how much it impacted him, but he did have some sort of engine issue going on as well, and he lost a couple of spots in pit lane, so it could have easily been another couple of spots. But I think the most important thing was, yes, unlike those other guys you just rattled off, Shane really looked like he belonged. You know, he rubbed panels with yep. a couple of guys. He gave as good as he got. I think he just fitted in, which was a pretty positive uh, outcome. He made that truck series start at Indianapolis Park Raceway on Friday as well. Uh, and let me tell you, so I did watch that one. That started at a very handy 9 a.m. Uh, Perth time. I could just watch those fugly trucks all day long. I love them. They're just uh, they're fantastic. I thought he did pretty well in that race. It, to, to just follow up what you just said, he looked like he belonged on the Oval as well, you know. Um, funnily enough, he was on the radio at the first caution screaming about how much fun he was having. And it kind of ties into what our, our friend and colleague Tommy Howard has told us about Rally New Zealand last year and how – you know, the WRC paddock was blown away by Shane's enthusiasm and we don't always get him in full enthusiastic mode here in supercar. So that can be kind of surprising to hear, but it sounds like a pretty similar thing over there. He's actually just having a ball. Yeah, for sure. I think he, he loved the the wheel-to-wheel kind of racing that was going on there. And yeah, he did look cooked afterwards though, didn't he? Like um, mm. there was a lot for him to take in. He looked pretty spent at the end of that. But as you say, like what he did there, pretty amazing. Like first tarmac oval race, what, it was like 15 minutes of practice and then to yeah. run competitively and without making a mistake. Uh, I think I think this was the biggest takeout from his whole weekend, to be honest, how quickly he adapted to that challenge on such a small, tough oval. And it just bodes really well for next year like the boss of Trackhouse Justin Marks spoke after the cup race about how the plan for next year is to run a program that maximizes Shane's track time and learning across various divisions so it sounds like there'll be a few cup starts with Trackhouse and then a lot of integration with other Chevy partner teams that they've got in truck and Xfinity and yeah that that truck race at IRP it should give everyone they're talking to confidence that Shane can get up to speed relatively quickly yep. no matter what the track absolutely what did you make of Brody's NASCAR debut it was a tough one obviously you know he had a throttle issue that meant you know what was already a very short practice session got even shorter the 11th fastest time in qualifying was pretty handy based on that until he binned it um that put him to the rear of field. He battled back through to 22nd. Where does this sit as a good or average debut, do you reckon? Oh, as you say, like his, his speed seemed pretty good, like in qualifying and then in the race, but it was just such a shame that he had to start at the back because we, really, yeah. we never really saw him and there were no cautions or chaos to 
jumble it up and get him to the front or create any opportunities, which was quite weird for a NASCAR race to go green almost all the way through. So they actually yeah. pitted at one point preempting a caution, but it never came. And it just kind of felt like if Chicago was a perfect storm of factors coming together for Shane to succeed, then Indy was the opposite for Brody. It just things yeah. just didn't quite work for him. But I certainly hope he gets another shot at some point. Like those RCR guys have spoken really highly of how Brody has lifted their whole road course program. So regardless of of how he personally went in the race, I think uh, they they're quite happy with how uh, he contributed to the team. Every lap in under a minute. Every move made to matter. Every decision impacting the outcome of the race. Supercars in Perth. Every second matters. Bosch Power Tools Perth Super Sprint. May 17 to 19. Book now at Ticketek. Supercars. Unforgettable. Let's move on to some supercars silly season talk, and there is plenty of it kicking around at the moment. The path is now clear for Will Brown's Triple Eight move, with Erebus confirming he will leave at the end of this season. Triple Eight hasn't confirmed its side just yet, but that will happen before cars hit the track at the bend this weekend, I would suspect. So that means attention turns to Erebus and who may land uh, in what right now is a front-running race-winning team. The early money is on Jack LeBrock, who was out of contract at Matt Stone Racing. He's been a race winner this year too and is generally in fine form. Uh, he does have history with Erebus as a junior driver but was ultimately overlooked for a race seat in 2018 in favour of Anton Di Pasquale. Uh, if it's not JLB there, there is some talk that another young driver might get their shot at Erebus. You know, they do have form in doing that as well. Cooper Murray is a name that's come up on more than one occasion. Stefan, if Erebus does land JLB, is that a partnership that you think could work? Yeah, I personally think Jack is a done deal in this seat. I reckon that's mm-hmm. uh, that's where they're going. And as yeah. you say, it's kind of full circle for him, given how involved Erebus and Barry in particular have been or were in the earlier part of his career. Like Barry actually engineered Jack during his title-winning former Ford season back in 2012 and then got him into the Erebus GT program and they supported his early Super 2 drives with Image Racing and, and then, of course, gave him his Bathurst 1000 debut in the Mercedes. So there was that sliding doors moment at the end of 2017 that you mentioned where Erebus went for Anton over Jack, but... Barry has always rated Jack, so it's not a huge surprise that this is now on the cards. And sure, Jack will have a big challenge on his hands to keep up with Brody, but yeah, it's it's less risk for the team than, than putting a rookie in. I'd, I'd say he's a pretty safe option. Yeah, I mean, I reckon a year ago I would have thought, geez, Jack, you are biting off a fair bit there, but he, he is in good form at the moment. Like he has certainly used Gen 3 as a as an opportunity to sort of show that he can get the job done at the front when he's got the car to do it. So yeah, it is um I think it's a I think it's a pretty smart signing actually. There's a there's a few other bits that are starting to fall into place. You know, that second WAU seat still seems to be between Fabs and Ryan Wood. Um I would think the latter is probably nosing ahead there. Uh, Grove Racing is an interesting one uh, with the talk that Dave Reynolds is on the move to Team 18, you know, still ongoing. Now, there's an interesting theory floating about that the Groves might actually be eyeing 2025 as the time to swoop on a big name, and that big name may well be Anton Di Pasquale. Uh, That means they could look to another single-year deal. Um, 
there was talk that that was what was offered to Reynolds, hence why he is looking elsewhere because he wants something longer term. And if Reynolds does move, perhaps a James Courtney type could fill the single-year bill. What do you think about all that, Stefan? Yeah, well, firstly, surely Ryan Wood is going to end up in that Walkinshaw seat. After all, it would feel like a bit of a waste if if they don't move him up. But um, yeah. moving to, to Groves, yeah, that's that's a curious case, what they're going to do there because especially with, with Matt Payne, they need someone who can work with him and, and guide him. It's still very early yeah. for Matt, and I think the teammate there is quite important for that reason. And, yeah, James Courtney would fit that bill in terms of an experienced one-year solution, but... Man, running a stopgap for the second time in three years doesn't uh, speak well for uh, planning or their position in the market. So Stephen Grove has actually been pretty adamant that their next driver needs to be capable of winning them a championship. So we'll see how uh, how that plays out. And there's no doubt a bit of a sponsor element here too because um, mm. you'd say at the moment that at best, Penrite, they're a flight risk considering their history of following David Reynolds around. Yeah, look, I think I think we could. You, know, you can safely say they're either going to do that or they're going to cut back their support. I think Groves is readying to go into the sponsor market, and I think that's why having a name driver, something like someone like a Courtney, is going to be pretty important um, in that respect as well. Because uh, Matt Payne is, you know, he's had a great rookie season. He's showing all the signs of being a fantastic talent, but he's not a household name that you can wheel into the boardroom somewhere and, and hope to get someone to sign off and hand over a few dollars. So that's where, again, you know, they need the name driver. If they can't get the long-term name driver this year, do they look for that stopgap again? I don't know. It's a, it's an interesting it's an interesting sort of place that team's in. Um, I'm sort of feeling like Blanchard Racing Team is a silly season sleeper here as well, Stefan. I mean, if the team does get its expansion, the expectation is that Aaron Love would be in the second car, but the lead car... Todd Hazelwood isn't necessarily a lock, I wouldn't think. I reckon we could see some movement there. What do you reckon? Yeah, I think that's sounding uh, like there there will likely be some movement, but we're still waiting to see how it all plays out with teams racing charters for this team. Like, There's been a lot of talk about Tickford handing two back and that would enable BRT to expand, but until something's done there, you never actually know and what we're mid-August now, so... Surely yep. they've uh, got to get this side of it sorted uh, sooner rather than later so they can actually know how many cars they are running. Yeah, it is still a curious case, that whole TRC thing. We'll um, keep an eye on that and see how it plays out. There's some interesting chat around about a possible team defection too, Stefan. Uh, it seems that the Ford homologation has become a bit of a prize. I mean, I know that WAU would love to get their hands on it and there's talk that the Groves are keen on it too. At the same time, there's chat that if that doesn't happen and the parity situation doesn't improve, a Ford team, thought to be Groves, could defect the GM and run their cars as Camaros as soon as next year. Um, I spoke to Stephen Grove about this late last week. He said it wasn't on the agenda but didn't rule it out entirely by any stretch. I guess, Stefan, if you're not living and dying by that additional financial support that the Ford teams get compared to most of the GM teams, you'd probably consider it right now, right? Potentially. I mean, it would be a big move to make just because the Ford has struggled this year. Like, even with a control chassis and a lot of control parts, like, it'd still be a lot of time and money converting everything over. Like, you'd easily drop half a million bucks making that happen. So, that'd be a big bet to place 
around which car is going to be the car to have in 2024. But the, the way that it would make sense is if you've got a sponsor that desperately wants to change for whatever reason yeah. or if coming back to your original point, the Ford teams aren't happy with the integration with the current homologation team, which is DJR, and if they feel that there's better service to be had on the GM side from Eight in terms of the transparency and inclusion on those sort of matters. But, yeah, as always, there's, there's political elements that we don't necessarily see in front of us. But, uh, yeah, if you look at the pure facts and figures, it, it's still a fair effort to, uh, to switch brands. <laughs> You'd just be tempting fate for the tables to turn entirely as well, wouldn't you? And for the Mustang to come out next year and be completely unstoppable when you're going, oh, no, we've fallen on the wrong side of this thing uh, This thing again. You're almost better to just sort of wait your turn, wait until wait until some parity issues go go your way. Anyway, it's all, uh, it's all quite interesting. Uh, what else was interesting over the weekend was, moving on from supercars, was a bit of racing happening at Calder Park, Stefan, for the first time in like 90 years or something like that. That's <laughs> like, um, okay, maybe not that long, but yeah, Calder Park is back. How cool is that? Yeah, it was really cool just uh, seeing some of the, the images and a little bit of video coming out of that place on the weekend, seeing cars not only running around the flat track, but uh, doing a few laps of the Thunderdome as well. Yeah. They've obviously done a fair bit of work out there and and there's more in the planning and certainly a couple of people I've spoken to who were out there were pretty impressed by how relatively neat the place was and how it was presented. So mm. I know they've had some Motorsport Australia inspections out there too, so hopefully we'll see uh, that ticked off from a licensing perspective soon and, uh, and yeah, it's really truly back. That's cool. I might try and grab uh, Rodney Jane at the Bend this weekend and have a chat with him about that because that is good news for Aussie motorsport. All right, let's take a look at what happened around the world over the weekend. It wasn't just our new NASCAR stars that were in action on the Indy Road course. IndyCar was there as well with Scott Dixon turning back the clock to score victory. The Kiwi recovering from a lap one spin to do so. Will Power finished sixth and Scotty Mack in eighth. The really big IndyCar news, however, was the continuation of the delicious Alex Pillow contract saga. He has now decided he won't join McLaren next year as planned and will stay with CGR. McLaren is furious, of to Zach Brown, that's because the commitment he has made to us both directly and publicly and our significant investment in him based on that commitment is obviously not being honoured. Chip Ganassi, meanwhile, says McLaren is, quote, playing the victim. All very spicy. And the Indy Road Course NASCAR Cup Series win went to Michael McDowell, who secured his spot in the playoffs. Okay, Castrol mailbag time. So Tim Matheson has decided all on his own that we are definitely going to have a Project 91 entry on the supercars grid next year and he wants to know who we would like to see driving it now that is a very good question tim i'll touch on this in a in a moment a little more but the svg like talent that seems to be existing in the world right now outside of supercars is kyle larson seems like the sort of guy you could half point in the right direction and he'd pick it up to a reasonable extent uh he might not actually win unless supercars decides to shift the perth super sprint from wanneroo to the motorplex but i reckon he would do okay in the supercars field Stefan, who's getting your project 91 start Oh, look, I agree with you that Larson would be the pick of anyone right now in terms of someone who's adaptable and could possibly be competitive. So um, for my answer, I'll go the other way and take more of a more of a marketing angle and try to coincide Shane's last supercars round in Adelaide this year with 
Dale Earnhardt Jr. running in the uh, Super 2 Series. Dale did speak on his podcast last week about possibly maybe wanting to come out for Adelaide because it's after the NASCAR season. So there's an element of, oh, maybe it's doable. And he's got he's got a higher profile than any of the current NASCAR stars, I reckon. So mm. it'd just be a really great story to sell with, you know, Shane teaching Dale how to drive the car in the lead up. And, you know, all of that side would be arguably bigger than whatever the end result would be. Just just Super 2. You're not giving him a main game start. I feel like we've learnt that uh, cup drivers don't necessarily excel on street circuits. So uh, let's let's keep some uh, level of uh, reality in this. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's fair enough. Um, that Dale that Dale Junior podcast with Shane was uh, speaking about spicy. There was some spiciness in that. Shane really. Uh, when you're using the term mind numbing about racing a supercar, whew, if he wasn't definitely out the door already, that was uh, that was something. Yeah, the door's uh, maybe going to be on fire when he leaves. <laughs> I think so. I think so. All righty, let's hand out some Castrol stars of the week. I don't mean to be repetitive, but I'm going Kyle Larson again. Uh, I did lock this in before we got that mailbag cue, uh, but the guy's just on another level. He absolutely stormed a victory at the Knoxville Nationals on Saturday night, US time, jumped on a plane and finished eighth in the Cup Series race in Indy on the Sunday. They do know how to get some racing done over there in the States. It's all pretty cool. And who knows, that could be uh, SVG in the not-too-distant future, jumping from a sprint car into a NASCAR or ARCA or trucks or whatever. I reckon he, would, uh, he wouldn't he would mind a bit of that. Stefan, who is your Castrol Star recipient? I'm also going with a uh, big-name Star of the Week this week. I'm giving mine to Scott Dixon, who won the weekend's IndyCar race despite spinning to the back of the field on the opening lap. I mean, if there's one bloke who can reach into a toilet and pull out a gold watch, it's Scott Dixon. He's just amazing at recovering (laughs) from these deals. So Indy was his 319th consecutive IndyCar race start. So he's broken a tie there with Tony Kanaan for most all time. And he's now won in 19 consecutive seasons, which is just some incredible career longevity at such a high level. I can assure you I'm never going to look at someone wearing a gold watch the same ever (laughs) again. Well, that's it for this week. Remember to like, subscribe, and review our work wherever you listen to your podcast. And we'll be back next week with more Castrol Motorsport News. Every lap in under a minute means every second matters. Bosch Power Tools Perth Super Sprint, May 17 to 19. Book now at Tick Attack. Supercars unforgettable. Hey, it's Chaz Mostert here, and yes, I'm inside your speaker. I'm in here because I have a special message for you from Clayton in Melbourne. If you're a club, state, or national racer on the circuit or on the dirt in Speedway or rallying, you can now tap into the know-how of Walkinshaw Racing Services, and you don't need a supercar to get in the door. The same expertise that's won multiple Bathurst 1000s and V8 Supercar Championships is now available for you to call upon. From bonnet to bumper, WRS can help you with engines, design, paint, machining, fabrication, and so much more for all sorts of makes, models, and categories. Have a chat with Walkinshaw Racing Services and tell them what matters to you. Call now on 1300 WRacing or email services at walkinshawracing.com.au.